Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. It's glad you're joining us, whether online or here at, at our facility. And we're in a series called Guardrails. And this is part five of five, so we're finishing up today with the topic of the heart of the matter. And I want to start by talking about when we were kids. And if you're a kid, I guess it means now. <laughs> when we were kids, our parents had rules for us or guardrails. For example, they didn't want us playing in the street. Uh, especially when we were small. And if we broke the rule, there were consequences or there was uh, punishment, we called it then. We call it discipline now. Um, hopefully that we would not do it again. <laughs> that we wouldn't go through the guardrail, we wouldn't break the rule. And it was for our own safety. Then you become a teenager and you start driving. And who monitors your behavior then? Well, patrolmen do. And if you go through the guardrail, if you go speeding and they catch you, you get a punishment or discipline, a speeding ticket, hopefully to modify your behavior. But ultimately, you become an adult and it's your own personal responsibility or job to monitor your behavior uh, and then to modify it where need be. And we get good at that. Uh, whether it's in a, some kind of group, uh, peer group, there are certain things you do, maybe certain th ways you dress or you don't dress, certain things you say or don't say. Uh, you get employed by someone, there are certain rules by your employer, and there might not be rules that you would normally follow or guardrails you'd normally follow, but if you want to keep your job, you modify your behavior to uh, uh, keep your job. But every once in a while, we step outside of it. We say something we shouldn't say. We say something stupid. We all put our foot in our mouth sometimes. Or we do something, and we, and we think, or we even say it out loud, where did that come from? What do we mean when we say that? Well, that's not, that's not really me. Well, yes, it is really you. <laughs> and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Well, review about guardrails first. Guardrails, we understand, are a system out on the highway designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous off-limit areas. Another way we say it, they direct and protect. Uh, the direct is to go around the curves or, st or stay on the bridge or whatever, protect us from going off the curve or off the bridge. Uh, they also promote what we call preventive living or preventive activities. So. That prevents me from having a negative activity. It prevents me from having an accident. It prevents me from damaging my car, maybe damaging me or damaging other people. It's preventative. They're also, and this is critical, they're not placed in the danger zone. You hit the guardrail before you get to the danger. That's what's so critical. This is to minimize danger. This is to minimize damage. So. We have our guardrail. As we approach the guardrail, some bells should go off. Our conscience should start bothering us. And so hopefully avoid the guardrail. Even if we hit the guardrail, hopefully it avoids the danger on the other side. So as I said, it minimizes damage. Damage to your car, damages to people. And we need these guardrails in other areas of our lives, in our finances, in our relationships. And uh, <clears throat> today we're going to talk about it in our hearts. We need these guardrails to keep us from 
use the word regrets. We could avoid a lot of regrets in our lives if we had guardrails and if we stayed on the safe side of the guardrail. Um, the other issue is, is culture, society does not encourage guardrails. In fact, they make fun of our guardrails. Well, you, you, you're not going to drink more than one drink. <laughs> you're not going to, you know, be alone with a woman uh, that's not your wife. Uh, they make fun of these guardrails. But when we break that, when we drink and drive and get, get our license taken away from us or, you know, when I wind up having an affair with some, someone that's not my wife, then they make fun of us. Well, what's the matter with you? Well, you're shame on you, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really important that we take the responsibility of setting up the guardrails in our own personal lives. Now, they are personal. And the definition is this. It's a standard of personal behavior becomes a matter of conscience. So mine are different than yours. Yours are different than mine. My guardrail as far as alcohol may not to touch it at all. Yours might be one drink or two drinks. Uh, no hard stuff. Whatever it might be. Uh, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not alone with women that aren't my family members. Uh, that's my guardrail. Your guardrail, you might be comfortable with that. Your spouse, if you're married, your spouse may be comfortable with it. Um, if you're married, these, these kind of need to coincide, yours and your spouse's, obviously. But we said last week, it's uneasy early. As soon as I start drifting in that area, um, somebody offers me an extra drink, or if somebody says, hey, uh, some lady asks me, hey, I, can we spend some time together? Bells should start going off. Sirens should start going off. Whatever I need, uh-oh, danger, danger. I'm not, don't, I don't want to go there. Uh, I'm not in danger yet. And even if I was to take another drink or meet for a while with that person, I may, nothing bad may happen, but nothing bad can happen if I stay on this side of the guardrail. It can't. It's impossible. So today I want to talk to you about the most important guardrail. Not because I say so, but because a guy named Solomon said so. And that's guarding your heart. Guarding your heart. And the, the key verse is in Proverbs means if you forget everything else I've ever said, or in Solomon's case, everything I ever wrote, um, don't forget this. And it starts off this way in Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else. First priority, more important than anything else. Well, I thought this was most important. I thought, no, no. <laughs> Guarding your heart, putting up guardrails on your heart is the most important thing. We say, well, why? Why is that the most important thing? And well, he, well, he tells us in the next <clears throat> part of the verse. For it determines the course of your life. Some translations say the rest of your life flows from it. Determines the course. <clears throat> Let me ask you a simple question. <clears throat> what if Solomon was right? What if that's true? That guarding your heart is the most important thing. Uh, what would it look like? So that's kind of where I want to go this morning. What did it look like? I'm going to use a story from the life of Jesus. He dealt with the religious leaders of his day, and they seemed to clash a lot. And uh, that's going to happen in the story we're going to read today, this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> so beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Often Jesus had these conflicts with them in Jerusalem because there was a lot of them there. But sometimes, because Jesus uh, attracted the crowd, and that's one thing to bother them, 
they were following Jesus instead of them. And they were jealous. And so they would go out and actually meet Jesus. And they would try this technique. They would try and come up with this uh, question that would be a catch-22. No matter what Jesus said, he would be wrong. And the people would turn against him and, and stop following him. So that was their goal. It was kind of silly because they never were successful. Jesus always outsmarted them. But that's the case here. So they asked him a question. They kind of snuck to the front of the crowd. Hey, Jesus, we got a question for you. Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? That word tradition is really important. For they ignore our tradition, again, of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, notice it's a tradition, not a law or a commandment. Now, for them, the religious leaders, it was a commandment. In the Old Testament, you read it, for, for the Pharisees and the people that worked in the temple, they had ceremonial washing. If you touched something they considered unclean, like a dead animal or a dead person, you had to go through this ceremony to cleanse yourself to make you acceptable to God. That was, that was the law. That was the rule. Well, somewhere along the line, these religious leaders told everybody, this is what you need to do. So, everybody... Common folk had nothing to do with the temple or the priesthood or anything else. They were supposed to go through this ceremonial washing. It wasn't washing your hands before you eat like your parents taught you. It was ceremonial, and it was supposed to make you acceptable to God. So everybody, they were saying everybody had to do this. Well, Jesus knew better, <laughs> and I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, do you really want to ask me this dumb question? <laughs> because uh, he handles it pretty easily. Continuing on. Jesus replied, Why do you, by your tradition, violate the direct commandments of God? Now, let me try and illustrate this way. They have this commandment that actually kept them from doing what God wanted them to do. And he's going to give us a, a, an illustration here in a minute. But let me give you this illustration. Those of you that have had children, or maybe you have teenagers. I think we have a couple teenagers here. And say one of those teenagers, uh, I'm the husband, the teenagers uh, talks back to my wife, disrespectful of my wife. And I'm going to say, don't talk to my wife that way. That's what I'm going to say to her. And so my teenager comes back with this, okay, if you don't want to talk disrespectful to mom, I'm not going to talk to mom at all. That's going to be my guardrail. Now, what am I going to say to that teenager? That's disrespectful, that you won't talk to your mother. So you're going to set up a guardrail to avoid uh, a guardrail or, a law or, or something that is good for you to do, so you won't have to do it. So you set up a rule to avoid a rule that actually breaks a rule, if that makes any sense. So he's going to give us an illustration. So let's go through the text, and it, maybe, hopefully it'll make more sense. Um, for instance, evidently there was more instances or examples, but Jesus uses this one. God says in the Bible, Ten Commandments actually, honor your father and mother. That's one of the biggies. That's number five, I think. <laughs> and anyone who speaks disrespectful... I, I'll explain why I'm laughing. Anyone who speaks disrespectful of father and mother must be put to death. Actually said stone. It's in the Old Testament. I don't know how often they did it, 
But when, when our kids, and they'll tell you, when our kids were disrespectful to their mother, she would quote this verse to them. Anyway, she never stoned them. But anyway, they're still, they're still walking around. But she would quote it to them. Um, so Jesus said, all right, we got one of the Ten Commandments, and we got this law in the Old Testament, their Bible, that says if you're disrespectful to father or mother, you must be put to death. But you say it's all right. Now, here, here, here's what they've done. You say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you, for you vowed to give to God what I would give to you. So, this wasn't a law, but this was a tradition. That if you verbally, that's all you had to do, verbally dedicate all your possessions, all your wealth and all your possessions to the temple, you were allowed to use it the rest of your life just like normal, but you weren't allowed it to give anybody else because it belonged to the temple. So your parents get elderly and they need some help and say, oh, okay, you know, can you help me with this, help me with that? Uh, I'd love to, parents, but I can't. I've dedicated it all to the temple. Of course, I'm using it all my, uh, myself, but I can't give it to you. Crazy, right? But that's what they did. They set up this tradition to avoid a commandment. So, Text goes on. <clears throat> in this way, you say that you don't need to honor your parents, because that's ultimately what you're doing. You're not honoring them. You're not helping them. And so you, and this is pretty strong wording, you cancel the Word of God. You're saying, I know God said that, but we're going to ignore what God says for the sake of your own tradition or for your own selfishness. And then Jesus uses a very harsh word. and. And it usually ended the conversation. He called them hypocrites. <laughs> you, are, you want people to think you're spiritual and you're anything but. And that usually ended the conversation. And they probably, you know, snuck away, <laughs> defeated. They probably walked them and said, I thought we could get him with that one, but he outsmarted us again. Anyway, I'm just uh, uh, imagining what might have happened. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he addresses the crowd now. The crowd was there. They heard this conversation going back and forth. So he calls the crowd over and he says, listen, try and understand. Because this was completely strange to them. They thought they had to do this hand washing all the time. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Now, that seems pretty easy for us to understand today, doesn't it? But it, it, it was new to them, and they didn't understand. In fact, the disciples didn't even understand it. And I put this verse in here, or didn't take this verse out, because it made me laugh too. <laughs> Next verse. The disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Uh, using the word hypocrite is pretty offensive. I think Jesus knew what he was saying. I don't think Jesus cared that he offended. Now, we kind of, it's kind of a no-no in our culture today to offend people, even with the truth. We, you and I, need to speak the truth. We don't need to deliberately offend people. We're supposed to speak the truth with love. But they are offended by the truth. That's their issue, not ours. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, I don't know why the disciples even asked Jesus that, but they did, and 
he didn't, obviously didn't bother him. And then Peter asked him a question. Uh, can you explain this parable that says people aren't to follow but what to eat? Now, I don't understand why it's called a parable. I don't see a story here. A parable is usually a story with a moral. I, don't, I just see an explanation, but the text reads a parable. And so, again, Jesus' response, uh, again, I have to laugh. He's probably tired of the disciples asking him and explaining stuff. And he says, are you still so dull? Are you still so slow? Aren't you ever going to get it? And I can say, imagine God says the same thing to us today. Uh, we're kind of slow to, to catch on sometimes. So he responds. He, he, he tries to explain it in more detail so they'll understand. And so we'll understand. Everybody understands this, right? Anything you eat passes through your stomach and goes out, or out to the sewer. Yeah, yeah, we understand that. That's how our, our physiology works. And the words you speak, they come out, but they come out where? They come from your mouth, and they originate not outside like the food does. They originate inside at the heart. And he said, that's what defiles you. Now, heart in the Old Testament referred to your brain. Uh, emotion, we use heart for emotions. Emotions, the Old Testament, was in your abdomen, in your bowels. So he's talking about your thoughts. Uh, the words you speak come from your thoughts, from your heart. And they are what defiles you. And then he gives it a list. In fact, he gives like half the Ten Commandments. He says, from the heart, or from your thoughts, come evil thoughts. <laughs> evil thoughts come from our, from our minds. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Now, why are these, why do these things defile us? God, just God's just oversensitive? No. They defile us because they hurt the people that God loves, including ourselves sometimes. So, all the commandments of God are to keep from hurting us and the people we care about and all people. Because when we hurt other people, this offends God. So he goes on. He's trying to explain what he means. These are what defile you. So these behaviors that result in our mind, these actions, these attitudes. Eating with unwashed hands have never defiled you. They didn't, it's, not a, it's a non-issue. What is the issue is your heart. So he says, our behavior, say it this way, our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts. So when we say, I, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, we do know where it came from. It came in here. We don't hate to admit it came from in here. And we've all done this, or at least we've seen people do this, uh, lose their jobs because of something, you know, an outburst. They blew up their job. They might have blew up their marriage by some outburst. They might have blew up their relationship with their siblings or their children or their parents, uh, or some other friends, uh, with an outburst from the heart. So, I want to kind of focus in here on four, I'm going to call negative emotions that originate in here that come out that can hurt us and the ones we love, that we need to put guardrails in place so that doesn't happen. We have work to do to put them in place to help deal with this internal tension 
that comes with these negative emotions. We need to be aware of them, have the guardrail in place, and not go through the guardrail. So I'm going to try and help you with that this morning as we, as we finish up. So here's the four emotions. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. I'm going to give a short <laughs> description of guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. First, guilt is I owe you. So I'm guilty when I've taken something from you. I may have physically taken something from you. I may have taken uh, undue use of your time. Uh, I may have taken something from you, your reputation from you. I've taken something from you, and I feel guilty about it. Um, It usually leads to secrets. Um, We try and keep these things secret that we, of the things we've taken. Um, so that's a problem with guilt. Anger, all familiar with anger, I'm, suppo- I'm assuming. That's where you owe me. That means you've taken something from me and I don't like it. I'm angry with you for doing that. Now, anger is kind of an interesting emotion because it, it leaks out. It's not isolated to the, uh, the object of our anger. We've all probably done this. You got angry with somebody at work and came home and yelled at your wife or kids. Or you got angry with your wife and you yelled at the kids or yelled at the dog. No, pet owners usually don't yell at their dogs, I know. <laughs> uh, you got angry with the dog and yelled at your, at your spouse or your kids, I don't know. Uh, but that's what happens with anger. We try and hold it in, but it just leaks out, doesn't it? Comes from the heart. And I want to pay you back because you took something from me. So that's anger. Greed, we talked about last week, so quickly. That's, I owe me, I owe me. Uh, You've got a need, my heart goes out to you, but anything that comes to me is mine. Uh, We used the definition last week, the assumption, it's all for my consumption. So, yeah, I'd like to give you some of this money, but it's all mine, it's all for me. It's all for me to use for me. (laughs) Um, Again, I wish I could, but I really can't. My heart won't let me. And then jealousy. This is an ugly one. Um, This is life owes me. I deserve whatever. I deserve that promotion. Somebody in our church, uh, Dennis, just got a promotion. Congratulate him. I deserve, you know, a, a house like you have. I deserve... You know, the stuff that you have, I deserve uh, a spouse like you have, I deserve kids like you have, I deserve grandkids, and it can get really ugly, even to the place where we celebrate the other person's loss. This person has a nicer house than me, and then they lose their job, and then they lose their house, and, ah, see, we we celebrate other people's losses. That's how ugly our hearts can get sometimes. Now, what I'm talking about and what I've been talking about, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're listening, we're delighted that you are. We believe these principles will make your life better and and make you better at life, make you a better husband, wife, spouse, member of society, whatever it might be. But you're not obligated to do it. These are, you know, Jesus' instructions. So, but if you're a Jesus follower, you and I have no option, but we shouldn't want an option. We shouldn't want to opt out of what's going to make our lives better, but sometimes we do. Now, let me just warn you, some of these things don't seem to make sense initially. 
They seem counterintuitive. And they're often, almost always, opposite of how we feel. So with that explanation, let's look at the antidotes or the guardrails for these four emotions. First, guilt. I owe you. So what do you do about that? Well, you confess. Now, confessing to God is fine, but God already knows. And so, yeah, go through the, through the process of confessing to God. But we're talking about confessing out loud or confessing to the person Ideally, to the person that you have hurt or offended. Uh, this is the key to healing. Uh, this is the key to solving the guilt problem. This is the key to having a clear conscience. Uh, maybe initially it's too difficult to talk to the person you offended. Maybe you can talk to another person first. But ultimately, you need to get to that person. And the sooner, the better. Again, minimize the damage. Uh, Often this is where, again, secrets come in. And we're only sick as our secrets, so don't keep secrets. Deal with the issue. Now, let me give you a little warning. Uh, there's going to be initial chaos. When you confess something, I've never done this, but if I cheated on my wife, if I confess that to her, there's going to be chaos, right? I think we all understand that. But, <laughs> but ultimately, there can't be any healing till I do that. I think everybody understands that. So if our future, my marriage future, depends on me confessing that to her. So confession. Uh, anger. You owe me. <clears throat> forgiveness. Now, what do we mean by forgiveness? It means you don't owe me. You took something from me, but you don't need to give it back. I've identified what's upsetting me, and I've decided to let it go. So you took something from me. Maybe somebody took some possession of yours and, and didn't give it back. And I decided, I, you can keep it. Now, I know, again, the pushback here is, well, it lets them off the hook. They should give this back to me. But in reality, no, 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 you're letting yourself off the hook. Most of you have heard the old adage, unforgiveness is drinking poison expecting the other person to die. So you're letting yourself off. You're, not, you're getting rid of the poison when you forgive other people. You are setting yourself free from the anger. So that's forgiveness. Uh, greed. Again, we talked about last week. Um, I love this suggestion. Write a big check. Now, big can be different for, for everybody. If you're living on Social Security and your retirement, a big check may be $100. I don't know. Uh, for somebody who's got a big income, $100 is nothing. So if you want to conquer greed, if you want to have a guardrail against greed, write a big check. You can write to our church if you like, but it doesn't have to be our church. Write a big check. Give it away. Giving is the antidote to greed. Let me give you a silly illustration. One thing that I think more guys than, than gals have a problem with is we have stuff that we don't want people to mess with. We don't want people to touch and we kind of guard it. And the problem with that is when we tell our kids or our spouse, you can't touch this, they feel like that is more important than them. So anyway, I, my granddaughter Addie's reading Tolkien. He's the one who wrote the books about the, 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 the hobbits. 
And she, I had the Hobbit book, but I lent it to somebody, never got it back. But I'm, I'm, I don't care. Anyway. But I also had the trilogy, the Lord of the Ring trilogies. It's three books. And they're probably the only books I have. And I have a lot of science fiction fantasy books, hundreds. The only ones I have in like what we call mint condition. They, I bought them probably 20 years ago. They're wrapped in plastic and taped up, original covers and so forth. And so I'm a couple of weeks ago, and I'm preparing these, these messages, of course, and I'm thinking, do I really want to give Addie my mint <laughs> books? And so I decided, yes, I'm going to give them to her. I gave her some instructions, <laughs> hopefully to come back in, in pretty good condition. Um, but I, think about it this way. When I die someday, what's going to happen to those books? Yard sale, exactly, or give them away. Okay, uh, so why are we so uh, ugly? We're greedy with those things. I don't want to have greed control me. So write a check, give that thing away, let your granddaughter borrow it, whatever it might be. <laughs> and jealousy, again, this ugly one called jealousy. You know one reason it's so ugly? Because in reality, you're saying God owes me. God, I'm not happy with the life you gave me. I'm not happy with the wife you gave me, the kids you gave me, the house you gave me, the job you gave me, my, the looks you gave me, the intelligence you gave me, whatever it might be. Whatever you're jealous of. The church you gave me. I could be jealous of some big church somewhere. <clears throat> now, who are the people that I think we can learn the most from in this situation? And it's people that are suffering unjustly. I mean, they didn't bring it upon themselves. I was thinking of little, uh, uh, lost her name. <laughs> she got cancer. Annie, yeah, Annie's got cancer, and she's like nine years old. And her mother isn't going around, you know, complaining to God, saying, uh, you know, you owe me a, a cancer-free daughter. Um, and it's watching people like that that don't, what they do is they don't compare. You know, all these kids that don't, have cancer. My daughter has cancer. They don't compare. And I don't know about you, but these are the people I respect most in life. So what's the antidote? Is to, is to celebrate out loud what other people have. Somebody gets a promotion instead of you, go and celebrate. I'm so happy that you got this job. You know, I really want it, but I'm happy that you got the job. Now, I know the pushback here is this. I don't feel like I want to have to sell it. I wanted that job. But here's the key, and we've talked about this before. It's much easier to act your way into a feeling than feel your way into an action. You, you may never get to the place where like, you celebrate them getting that promotion if you wait till you feel like it. But the way to, only way to break through jealousy and the, only, the guardrail you and I need to have in place against jealousy is to celebrate other people's successes. So now we have, I assume we all have, <laughs> mirror work to do. So are you dealing with some guilt in your life? Then you need to go confess. Now, this is, this is an easy work, I understand. Some anger issues, you need to do some forgiving. You may need to do some asking forgiveness type things too. Uh, greed, do some giving. Give stuff away. 
Let people borrow stuff, write a big check. <clears throat> and then jealousy, celebrate. Celebrate what other people have. They have nicer this, nicer that. God, you know, that's great. You know, my life's great. I don't, you know, I'm happy with what I have. Paul, um, writer in the New Testament, um, he, he addresses the same topic, and real quickly, and we're about finished. <clears throat> this is in, in, a, in a letter he wrote to a church in, in Philippi. He said, then you experience God's peace. You'd have to read the rest of the chapter, which exceeds anything we can understand. So when we put these guardrails in place, we have, we have peace that, that most people wouldn't understand. Well, how could you not have guilt, or how could you not... Uh, how could you forgive that person? Or, or how could you not be jealous? Uh, we, we, we aren't. He said, his peace, this peace, will guard, I like this phraseology, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So you can have, if, when you have the peace, it guards your hearts and minds. When you guard your hearts and minds, you have the peace. It works both ways. Now, last week I showed you three jars. Taught my kids about money, putting God first in money. Why did I do that? Again, it wasn't so that we could balance our budgets as a church, <laughs> the little bit of money they gave. <clears throat> it's so they would understand about what's going on, on the inside. I didn't want them to be greedy. I didn't want them to assume everything was for their assumption. And some, it was for their consumption, excuse me. So it's about the inside. So let me ask you this morning, how is your heart? Is your heart at peace? Are you dealing with some of those negative emotions or, or, or something else? See, the problem is what's going on in the inside is it's dangerous because it's eventually going to do what? It's going to spew out, vomit out, and then other people get hurt and you get hurt. So, let's finish up with our verse. Proverbs, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this wisdom. Wow, uh, so much to, to uh, implement in my life. Um, we think about guardrails, yeah, finances, and I understand that, and relationship and so forth, but this is the biggie. <laughs> this is the thing that determines all the other things. This is this stuff inside, our heart and mind, our, 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 our thinking and our emotions. And so God, as we uh, do some heart surgery, if we will, some mirror work. Let us truly figure out what the issues are and deal constructively with them. Put these guardrails in place so a lot less damage gets done, a lot less hurt to ourselves and to others. And for those of you not Jesus followers, uh, we just pray that you would see the wisdom in being a Jesus follower. It makes your life better and, and you're better at life. Uh, you can do some of these things without being a Jesus follower, but Jesus followers must do these things because we know these are what is best for us and for others. These are things that honor God and does not put us at odds with God. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you're at odds with God just by the fact that you're, you've rejected Him. And He's so loving, He's always willing and wanting to accept you when you, when you accept Him. You can come just as you are. In fact, it's the only way you can come, unconditionally. There's nothing you can offer God other than your life. And He will accept it. He will cleanse your sin. He'll enter your life and promise you eternity with Him. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it is. 
And we would pray that you would make that step today. Or if not, all the way across that line that you would come a little closer. Yeah, I, I, I need to check this out some more. There seems to be real value here. And we pray that you would. If you've made that decision, whatever decision, we'd love to hear from you. We're here to help. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do for us. We look forward to what you have for us this week, the challenges as well as the blessings. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.